able to stand, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verses 5 through 8. The Bible says, Who is this that cometh up from the wilderness, leaning upon her beloved? She's finally been reunited. I raise thee up under the apple tree. There thy mother brought thee forth. There she brought thee forth that bare thee. Set me as a seal upon thine heart, as a seal upon thine arm. For love is as strong as death. Jealousy is as cruel as the grave. The coals thereof are coals of fire, which hath a vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can the floods drown it. If a man would give all the substance of his house for love, it would be utterly contemned. We have a little sister, and she hath no breasts. What shall we do for our sister in the day when she shall be spoken for? Now, <laughs> excuse me, the wording of verse 8, while it might seem a little odd, what is it saying? It's saying we have a little sister uh, who is not yet developed. She's not gone through, blossomed into womanhood. She's still a little girl, and we have a duty to help her uh, to be raised in a way that's pure. We have a duty to protect her, and there's an intentional effort that needs to be made to get her to a place where she's ready for a godly marriage. And so that uh, brings us to the title of the Bible study, the final Bible study here, Teaching Purity to the Next Generation. We want to make sure that this is something that we teach regularly. Uh, many parents have found that if they don't talk about drugs to their children, one day they wake up and they have children who are drug addicts because they didn't address the topic. And I'm going to tell you that purity is something that has to be intentionally, regularly taught to the next generation. Otherwise, uh, they will fall prey to uh, the society and the system and they will lose their purity at a, at a young age. Um, uh, I don't encourage anyone to do this, but I saw reports and pictures of the Grammy Grammys that took place, uh, the music awards show, and it basically is le- it was basically lesbian pornography um, on the screen and filthiness. And this is the society and the world that we live in. We live in a day where Dr. Seuss is canceled, but that is celebrated. It's disgusting, and um, uh, things are backwards. Things are strange, and we have to make an intentional effort to teach purity. So that's uh, the uh, context here. As we look at this uh, wedding, and uh, we'll, we'll jump in there. Let's pray. Lord, help us to understand, but Lord, not only understand, but lead with uh, changes made to our hearts, and uh, Lord, some things that will help us to be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Verse 5 t- shows us the two of them sort of riding in together. Now, back in, uh, let's see, back in uh, Hebrew culture, the way it would work when a couple was engaged or betrothed, they were legally married, uh, but without the physical union in marriage. And so these would last up to a year. And at that time, the young lady would live in her parents' house while the young man prepared a place physically for them to live. So he'd be building a house or preparing a place to live. And once he was ready and the date was set and time for him uh, the, the marriage to happen, he would take his bridal party, he would go to her father's house, and he would shake the hand of the father, he would collect his bride, and then they would head over to the location where the ceremony was going to be. Now, there's some typology there with the way that God in heaven is going to tell Jesus, Jesus is in heaven preparing mansions for all of us, see John 14, 1 and 2, what's he doing? He's getting things ready, he's betrothed, he's engaged to his church, and one day the father is going to say to him, it's time, go get your bride, and Jesus will leave heaven, and he'll come to earth, and he'll gather his bride, the church, and he'll take them away to the wedding ceremony in heaven. And so there's some typology there that's pretty fascinating and interesting here, but we, we see here the two of them, he has gone to her parents' house, he has collected her, he has put her in his... Um, uh, wagon bridal car and he's he's bringing her to the wedding the wedding guests are there look back at verse 5 who is this that cometh up from the wilderness leaning upon her beloved uh, this is the bride and the way she's dressed takes everyone's breath away i raised thee up 
under the apple tree. This very well could be her mother speaking. There, or, or just a family member speaking. There thy mother brought thee forth. There she brought thee forth that bear thee. And so here we have the beginning of the wedding ceremony. And so we see some exchange of commitment one to another. And so let's jump in there at, with verse numbers 6 and 7. We're going to look at six uh, sub-points here below the first point, And that's where we'll spend the majority of our time this evening. Notice, number one, the word commitment. Commitment. Here we see that commitment is going to define their marriage. Now, just like in today's day, we stand um, at a wedding altar when two people get married and they repeat vows to each other. And what are those vows? They are a commitment one to another that we're not going to, uh, uh, we're not going to leave that union, that we're going to hold strong uh, no matter what how good or bad it is, right? In, in, uh, let's see, in riches, richness, uh, for richer, for poor, in sickness and health. I don't have my marriage notes in front of me, amen? In sickness and health till death do us part. Now, for better, for worse is the idea there. And listen, uh, what are we doing? We are committing to stay with each other when it's good. Sure, anybody can do that, but also in the bad times, in the bad times. Anyone who's been married for any length of time knows that there are times in marriage when it's easy and fun and enjoyable, and there are times in marriage where it's, it's hard and difficult and anything but enjoyable. And you, you may love your spouse, but you don't really like your spouse. Amen? Everyone know what I'm talking about in here who's married? If you're sitting next to your spouse, you may not want to admit that. But everyone who isn't sitting next to your spouse will probably more readily admit that. And commitment is what carries us through the hard times. And so in verse 6 and 7 at this wedding ceremony, there is a, 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 some, there is a commitment that's given to each other. Look with me at verse number 6. It says there, Set me as a seal upon thine heart, as a seal upon thine arm, for love is stronger, as strong as death, jealousy as cruel as the grave. The coals thereof are coals of fire, which hath a much vehement flame. Verse 7, Many waters cannot quench love, neither can uh, the floods drown it. If a man would give all the substance of his house for love, it would be utterly contemned. So we see marital love uh, celebrated here, and we see in verse 6 the commitment to that. So let me give you an A, B, C, D, E, and F this evening. Notice letter A, commitment is within, is within. Look back with me at verse number 6. It says, set me as a seal upon thine Heart, thine heart. Marital uh, commitment is a heart commitment. Marital commitment is a heart commitment. I know throughout my years of being in church ministry, there have been times where I've gone to people and I've asked them uh, to help out in different areas, volunteer in different areas. And uh, I'll just use this example. Back when I was at Granite Baptist Church, in Glen Burnie, Maryland, I was, I think, 25 years old when I was hired, and I stayed there until I was 20, 25 to 29. I was there four years, and in that time, uh, being the children's pastor, I oversaw master clubs, and I had a lady who helped me with master clubs. Her name was Sarah Klingensmith, and Sarah had given her heart to the master club ministry. I mean, you talk about someone who had drank the Kool-Aid. I think she wore her master club shirt to the store right? Uh, she ate, drank, slept, breathed master clubs. Her heart was in it. And I didn't have to ask Sarah to help with master clubs. Sarah asked me if she could help. And uh, she was all in. I had another teacher named Jolie who I asked to help and teach our fourth grade class. And Jolie committed to do it, but did not give her heart to it. Is it any wonder that when we got to about the month of March into the school year, started in September, went through May, when we got to the month of March, she came to me and said, Pastor Lejeune, I just don't think, or Pastor Richard, they called me there, I just don't think I can do this anymore. I've got things in my life and I, I need to back away. One had committed with their heart and the other had committed with their head or just simply out of obligation. And what I see today in many marriages is that people get married with the possibility of divorce sort of in the back of their mind, 
and almost this idea, well, if it doesn't work out, then I'll just get a divorce and I'll move on uh, to, to the next uh, stage of my life and everything will be great. And to that I'd say, if that's where you are mentally, then you're not ready to get married. Uh, we need to understand that there is a commitment here, a heart commitment here. Not a head commitment, but a heart commitment. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 5 with me, if you would. And I know these are familiar verses, but indulge me if you would, even if you know these verses. Turn over there for me. Ephesians chapter 5, and look with me at verse number 28 and verse number 29, and then we'll skip down to verse number 33. The Bible says, So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth, look at these words here, nourisheth and cherisheth it. Nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. Do you know that uh, us men are pretty good at taking care of our own bodies? We're pretty good at it. Um, I like to frequent the refrigerator and um, I have ice cream I keep in the freezer. And when Angela is gone, and she's out shopping or going to be gone for a few hours, generally I dive in the freezer and I get that ice cream and I eat a bowl of ice cream and I wash the bowl and I put it away so she knows nothing about it when she comes home. Amen? Um, but I love, I love to nourish and cherish my own body. I've talked about how I enjoy coffee and I'll stop at a coffee shop or I'm getting gas. I'll go in and get a snack, a, a beef jerky stick or whatever it would be. I love to nourish and cherish my own flesh. The Bible says that no man ever hated his own flesh. We're all very good at loving our own flesh. And he says you ought to love your wife as you love your own flesh. You nourish and you cherish it. You're committed to maintaining and taking care of your own body. You ought to be committed to taking care of your spouse, of your wife. There is a commitment there. You say, but you don't know who I'm married to, and you don't know how impossible this person is. And I, and I would just say that there are some women in this world uh, that are very, very, very difficult to be married to and very, very difficult to get along with. And there are men in this world who are very, very difficult to get along to and very difficult to uh, live with. But I would say that God has called you to be committed. And once you said, I do, and you made that commitment, it needs to be from the heart. Uh, love is not just a feeling. Love is a decision, and that decision needs to be final. Look down at verse number 33. The Bible says, Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, as, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. She reverence her husband. It doesn't say reverence your husband if he's respectable. It doesn't say reverence your husband if he gets everything right. It just says, reverence her husband. I've sat uh, many times and had conversations with Marcia, and Marcia has talked about her mother and her father and how that her father had many struggles and problems and would come home late many nights even drunk. And Marcia's mom never, ever one time gave him a hard time. She cooked him dinner no matter how late he got home, and she would make excuses for his behavior, and she would care for him and love on him and, and was there for him through thick and thin, good and bad. And uh, after many, many years of her being committed to him, uh, oftentimes even in a broken marriage that was absence of love, uh, after many years of that, he got saved. He got saved and he repented and he apologized for all of the hurt and pain that he had inflicted on his wife and kids and uh, there was a great coming to the Lord. Now, that story has a happy ending, and we rejoice in that. But at the end of the day, ladies, you're going to stand in front of God, and you're going to give an account not for how your husband behaved, but for how you behaved toward him. And men, you're not going to give an account for how well your wife respected you and behaved. You're going to give an account to God for how well you loved her and how committed 
you were uh, to, uh, to her. Now, I don't speak this tonight to make anyone who's divorced feel bad. That's not my intent. But I am uh, speaking this tonight to people who are currently married and people who are one day looking at marriage. And please understand that before you get into a marriage, that you need to full well get that this is a till death do us part proposition. It's never God's intent for a couple to get divorced. And while there is a provision in the Bible for divorce, and while uh, God does allow it under extreme circumstances, it's still not his perfect will. His perfect will is that you make a, a very measured decision and you're committed. I'll further add this, that in the dating process, so those of you that are not married yet, in the dating process, make sure you take time to get to know the person before you fall in love with the person. I heard someone say one time that marriage is, or rather love is blind. How many of you have heard that phrase that love is blind? And it is. Um, I had a friend of mine who was uh, dating a girl one time, and I could see a lot of character flaws in this young lady, and I felt that um, marrying her uh, was, at least at that time, a mistake. And I told him so, and he just said to me, I just don't see it. I just don't see it. And I looked at him and said, of course you don't see it. You're in love, and love is blind. Well, the phrase goes, love is blind, but marriage is a real eye-opener. Amen? You know, Angela and I rarely fought while we were dating. We did have a couple of blow-ups, and, you know, our dating relationship was tested a little bit here and there. I'm a firstborn. She's a firstborn. We're both used to getting our way uh, and bossing our little siblings around. And so we had a couple of, of uh, tussles um, when we were dating, but nothing, no big skirmishes, nothing major. Let me tell you, the first couple of years we were married, we fought like cats and dogs. I mean, we never hit each other, but we came close. Um, there were lots of nights where one of us was sleeping on the couch. And, um, you know, all of those things I thought were cute about her, she thought was cute about me while we were dating, weren't so cute after we got married. We had to learn to work through those things. And um, our marriage was put to the test in a tough way. And you know what carried us through that? Commitment. Commitment. It is from within. It can't just be from the head. It has to be from the heart. And when the emotions are gone and you don't feel that you're in love, you have to make the choice to love anyway. You have to make the choice to love anyway. So notice the word there, heart, found in verse number 6 of Song of Solomon, chapter 8. Letter B, commitment wins. Commitment wins. Look back at verse number 6. Notice the word seal here. It's mentioned twice. Set me as a seal upon thine heart and a seal upon thine arm. Heart and arm. Now notice that um, where these seals are placed. First a moment about uh, a word about um, seal, the idea of a seal. In the Old Testament when a law would be written and um, a contract was going to be signed, the king would take his ring that acted as a signature, he would dip it in hot wax, and he would uh, leave an impression of his ring at the bottom of that contract or the bottom of that new law, and it would be official and it would be irreversible. It would be irreversible. Notice here that uh, this couple is saying to each other, set me as a seal upon thine heart. That's an inward decision that's permanent and as a seal upon thine arm. That's an outward decision. And that's um, for everyone else to see. We don't just want this to be an inward thing. We want this to be an outward thing. We don't just want this to be an outward thing. We want this to be an inward thing. And so a commitment wins. Commitment wins. And, um, you know, uh, there are a lot of couples today that run uh, to divorce. And they're quick to break up or they're quick to be noncommittal. Let me take just a moment and talk about uh, the common uh, thread in our society today where men and women want to live together without getting married. Let me just say to those of you in here that are single, that is a sin against God. And it not only is a sin against God, it is a sin against your own body to sleep with someone 
that you're not married to. God gave you a body and He wants you to uh, uh, keep that body pure and uh, prepared for that spouse and wait for that wedding day. I even hear engaged couples or hear of engaged couples who say, well, we're going to be married, so we might as well just go ahead and begin enjoying marital activity prior to the wedding day. Oh no, uh, commitment wins. And a part of commitment is saying, we will wait. We will wait. Uh, society in America really began to break down uh, when men and women started living together and sleeping together and ceased to feel shame over that. Now, um, uh, it used to be a woman would look at a man and say, if you want to be with me sexually, then you must marry me. And you must take care of me. And that was sort of the holdout, that physical holdout. Now, uh, today, men and women hop in the sack together and they sleep together and uh, they will live together and so there's no commitment. And so when things get uh, uh, tough or things get bad, uh, they kick one of them out and there's no commitment there. There's a lack of commitment and that's breaking down the moral fabric of our country. It used to be that dads would run uh, baseball leagues, little leagues, and pop Warner leagues, and were involved in the activities of the children. And that's still the case on some level, but for, uh, fewer and fewer men do that because fewer and fewer men are married to the woman uh, that has had their children. And so there's no commitment there. There's less commitment there. Used to be more and more men went to church because you had a wife that you were held to and children that you were committed to raise and that commitment would win out and the dad would take the family to church so those morals and principles would be taught and preached. And now, uh, because we're living in sin as a society, the last place we want to go is to a Bible-preaching church because then we'll feel guilty over the way we're living. But commitment wins out. And I would say to you that if you've made the commitment to get married and you are married currently, whether you're going through hard times in your marriage or not, remember this is a seal and it needs to be permanent and make this thing work and and make it last. Look at Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 18. Colossians 3. And here Paul is given the church of Colossae some instructions on human relations, and he deals with uh, employer-employee, he deals with children, he deals with husbands and wives. Look at verse 18, and let's uh, look at his instruction to married couples. It says there, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Notice that phrase, as it is fit in the Lord. You are to submit to your husband as if he is the Lord Jesus Christ. There isn't a husband that makes the mark, that hits the mark. No, no husband hits the mark, but submit to him on that level. Verse 19, husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Now, why that phrase, be not bitter against them? Because in a marriage where that has a struggle and strife, if you don't deal with that strife and let it go, it turns into bitterness, and that bitterness will ruin commitment. It is a cancer that destroys commitment. A husband who's become bittered, embittered toward his wife is a husband whose commitment is being corroded away and and eaten at. Keep short accounts with each other. Forgive one another and let commitment win. Letter A, we see commitment is within. Letter B, commitment wins. Letter C, commitment works. Commitment works. works. Look back at verse number 6. Of Song of Solomon. The Bible says, Set me as a seal upon thine heart, as a seal upon thine arm. For love is, notice this next word, strong. Love is strong as death. Jealousy is as cruel as the grave. The coals thereof are coals of fire, which have a more vehement flame. Love is strong. You know what love does? Love works. There's a strength there. I've heard that phrase, love works somewhere before. I'm trying to remember where I heard that. Maybe that was here. That was our theme last year, wasn't it? Love works. And uh, love is functional. It gets the job done, but love is committal. It is committal. Um, It is good every now and then for a husband to look at his wife and say to her, I'm going to love you no matter what. I am by your side. 
and uh, I will never leave your side. And no matter what comes our way, you can count on me to be your rock and to love you. I will be here. It is great for a wife to look at her husband and say, I'm committed to respecting you and loving you. No matter what we go through, I will be by your side. You might make some mistakes along the way, uh, and, and I, won't, I won't beat you up on that as long as those mistakes were made. Honestly, I will be by your side, loving you and taking care of you and supporting you and revering you, and um, uh, I will be strong for you. Turn over to Psalm chapter number 1, if you would. Psalm 1, and let's look at the, the first chapter of Psalm. This is a common psalm and not necessarily written for marriage, but I believe there's some applications that can be made to this idea that love is as strong as death, uh, and uh, we want to look at the strength that love provides in, in its commitment. Look here. Think of it in terms of marriage. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. You know, there's a lot of bad marriage counsel out there. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of uh, people out there that are trying to ruin your marriage. Uh, lust is everywhere. It's everywhere. And we don't need to be walking in the place where sinners walk. We don't need to be listening to the advice of godless people. Uh, be very careful about the books that you read. I'm speaking to mostly an older crowd in here. People my age, especially people younger than me, don't read books anymore. They read blog posts. Uh, and I imagine some of you may do that as well. But you're, the generation in the room tonight uh, are book readers. There's a lot of books out there on marriage that only thing that those books are really good for is setting fires in a fireplace. They're terrible. There's a lot of uh, human godless psychology out there that will tell you all kinds of things about marriage being a 50-50 proposition and uh, women are equal to men and women are to compete uh, with their man and uh, you're to be more friends than you are partners in a marriage. There's a lot of bad advice out there. And if it isn't biblical, steer away from it. The Bible says you're blessed if you don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly, that you don't hang out in the place of sinners. Look at verse 2. But his or her delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Do it the Bible way. Find your strength in the Bible. And when your marriage is being tested, turn to the Word of God and commit to follow the Word of God. Verse 3, and he shall be like a tree. Look at the strength here. A tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth, shall prosper. You want a prosperous marriage? Delight in the law of the Lord. Be that tree that's planted by the rivers of water of the Word of God and have a tree that puts forth fruit. And I believe here a good uh, application to verse number 3 are children who grow up to love God and as a result of a godly marriage. The title of the Bible study tonight, let's not forget, is Teaching Purity to the next generation. And really what I'm trying to do with point number one is talk about the importance of setting a godly example to those little eyeballs that look up and call you mom and dad. Those little eyeballs that look up to you and call you uh, nursery worker or Sunday school teacher or bus captain or bus worker. They need to look up and see a man and a woman who are doing it the Bible way, uh, who are that tree planted by the river of water that's bringing forth the fruits of the Spirit. And those children, that is the labor of love, the fruit of a, of a romantic relationship, they need to be that healthy fruit on the tree of a mom and dad who've set a good Godly example, a good godly example. Now, uh, quickly here, a disclaimer. Just because you do everything right or most everything right in raising kids is no guarantee that your children are going to turn out perfect. Sometimes a mom and dad from birth all the way up to 18 will, uh, again, no one's perfect, but they do everything they can. They, they give it their very best. And the children will still take a detour and a sin for a while and maybe boomerang back after some time. You pray 
they boomerang back after some time. We don't always get it right, and sometimes our children uh, don't want to do what's right, but we're to be that tree that's planted by the rivers of water. And we're, we're steady, we're strong in our love and our commitment uh, to one another. What message does it send a child when mom and dad look at each other and say, this relationship is over, we're through, and uh, our commitment is done, we're walking away, we don't love each other anymore. And now, child, you have to pick who you're going to live with Monday through Friday and who you're going to live with on Saturday and Sunday and summers. We're teaching the child to quit on relationships. Now, again, if you had extenuating circumstances and that gave you a biblical reason to walk away from your marriage, I'm not here to throw stones at anybody. I'm not here to guilt trip anyone. Please, please understand, that's not the intent in this. But it is to tell those of you in the room here that are unmarried, you take your time and you pick someone that you can love and be committed to the rest of your life and you get into that marriage very carefully and very planned and you look at that person and say, our love will stay pure and our love will stay strong so we can show the next generation how to do it. Uh, Let's keep looking at Psalm 1 there. Verse number 4, the ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. And so we need folks who are godly and righteous and strong where that marriage does not perish. Again, I'm not giving an interpretation of Psalm 1. I'm giving a marital application. Okay, Uh, Turn over with me to Proverbs 24 and verse number 16. You say, well, Pastor Lejeune, uh, marriages um, have been tough. And, um, you know, my spouse and I have a hard time getting along, and sometimes it feels like World War III in our home. And Or you say, Pastor Lejeune, I've made some mistakes in our marriage along the way, and I've really hurt my spouse, and uh, things are uh, rough right now. What do I do? Look at Proverbs twenty four sixteen. The Bible says, For a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again, but the wicked shall fall into mischief. Now, again, I'm making an application here. From this verse. If we had, um, now in sports, they'll have a, what they call a highlight reel, a montage of someone's great plays, right? Uh, Some of you have seen a montage of, you know, uh, Larry Bird or Magic Johnson or Michael Jordan or Joe Montana, you know, they're making all these incredible plays. And it's like, wow, he's the greatest thing ever. Um, If you had a montage or highlight reel, of all of my bad marital moments uh, that were to be played up on the screen of me at my worst as a husband and uh, that were to be put up on the screen, let's say it ran 20 minutes long, uh, the women in this room would probably come up and slap me. Okay, I've been a bonehead along the way. I've done some things that were just downright awful. And um, Pastor Lejeune at his worst as a husband is pretty awful. Okay. What separates a just man from a wicked man? When the just man messes up, he gets up, dusts himself off, and moves forward. You know what love knows how to do? I I hope you're listening tonight. Somebody really needs to hear this. Love knows how to say these two words right here. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Here's three more words to add to the end of I'm sorry. I was wrong. I'm sorry. I was wrong. And you know what word doesn't follow that word wrong? It's the word but. I was wrong, but. I was wrong, however. No, no, no. I'm sorry. I was wrong. And button your lip. Just be quiet. And mean it when you say it. You say, but they. Yeah. Yeah. I know you know what they did wrong. Because we all know what the other one did wrong. But do you know what you did wrong? If you ever come see me for marriage counseling. As uh, couples do from time to time. I love to put couples through a particular exercise. I get them in my office. And they sit down in the chairs. And they're really upset with each other. Hot and bothered. And. And, um, you know, they've got their mental list. Sometimes they even bring a real list 
of the other one's offenses and wrongdoings, and they're ready to tell me why their spouse is the devil incarnate. Okay? And so I get them there, and I sit them down, and I pray with them, and I'll look at the man, and I'll say to him, I'll say, what do you think your wife is going to tell me that you do wrong? And he fumbles around and bumbles around and, you know, he has a hard time telling me what he thinks his wife's going to tell me. And I press and press and press till I get something out. And then I look at the wife and I say, what do you think your husband's going to tell me that you do wrong? And uh, I, I, do, I usually put the husband on the spot first so I can give the wife a chance to kind of, you know, be prepared and tell me. And you know what that does often? That just disarms all of the anger. Because, I, you know, you need to look at yourself in the mirror. And you need to see that if love is going to be strong, then we have to substitute lust for love. Um, lust isn't just looking at another man and saying, I wish he was my husband, I'd have a lot more stability. Lust isn't just a man looking at a, a, a woman who uh, is maybe dressed in a way that's provocative and thinking, boy, I wish my wife looked like that. That's not the only version of lust. Sometimes lust is just being selfish. Just being selfish. And wanting to put ourselves ahead of our spouse. And what are we doing? We're being lustful. We're saying, me before you. Me before you. And um, that does not work. But love does work. And when you blow it and when you do wrong, the best thing you can do is pick yourself up, dust yourself off, apologize for your mistakes, wholeheartedly mean it, and work to do better uh, moving forward. But don't quit. Look back at verse 16 of Proverbs 24. The Bible says, A just man falleth seven times and riseth up again, but the wicked shall fall into mischief. Both fall. One gets up and keeps going. That's commitment. The other one walks away. The other one walks away. I want to just say this too to, um, as a tender-hearted pastor. I have an uncle I'm going to get to see in a, in a week or so uh, named Frank, my mom's brother. Frank is a great guy. Um, I think it's fair to say that Uncle Frank is probably my favorite uncle. Deeply loves God. Um, my Uncle Frank was married to my Aunt Esther. and My Aunt Esther was a terrible wife to him. Just a terrible wife. And um, withdrawn. I think she had some mental health struggles. And he loved her. Uh, wouldn't ever say a negative word about her. But we could tell at family reunions that things were strained and, and hard. And um, he, he just loved her anyway. Took care of her for, for two decades. Maybe two and a half decades. One day my Uncle Frank came home and there was a note on the refrigerator that said, I've left you. Uh, for another man. I'm not telling you where I'm going. The divorce papers will arrive in the mail. Have a happy life. My uncle is divorced. My uncle's still a good man. Um, was he a perfect husband? There is no such thing. But he was, a, he was a committed husband. He was a committed husband. Sometimes people end up divorced. The last thing they need is other Christians to throw stones at them. You can be committed and still end up divorced. But if both parties will be committed, if both parties will buy in, if both parties in a marriage will do their part, um, then uh, the marriage can work. And that work, that marriage will be strong. Uh, so we see uh, commitment is within. Commitment wins. Commitment works. Letter D, notice commitment withstands. Commitment withstands. Look at verse number 7. Notice the words quench and drown here. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can the floods drown it. If a man would give all the substance of his house for love, it would utterly be contemned. Many waters cannot quench love, cannot quench love, uh, neither can the floods drown it. Uh, commitment withstands. It can take a shot and keep on going, and it's not going to give up. It's not going to give in. One night I was uh, laying in bed and I couldn't fall asleep that particular night and just had my mind racing a thousand miles an hour. Angela was uh, uh, next to me asleep 
and I'm laying there on my pillow and I'm staring at her while she's sleeping and I thought to me, this woman is committed to me uh, and I have taken her and put her through a lot. Ministry life has put her through a lot. Uh, We've been kicked in the mouth pretty hard in various ministry places. I have forced this woman, not forced her, actually forced her, but uh, she's had to live in some pretty harsh type conditions, uh, at least from an American standpoint or from American um, uh, perspective, idea idea there. Um, We've been poor most of our marriage. We're not at the current moment, but most of our marriage we've been poor, and uh, she's been gossiped and belittled and talked about in different uh, situations and ministries, and uh, we've uh, we've had to watch our kids move from here to there uh, to here to there. Thankfully, Stratford, Connecticut has offered us a whole lot of stability, and we don't have that moving around anymore, and we praise God for that. Uh, but I laid there that night on my pillow looking at my wife, and I just thanked God that he gave me a woman who was committed to me, and no matter what was thrown at us, she just wasn't going to go anywhere. Uh, she wasn't going to pack up her bags and get on a plane and go back to Peru where her family is. Um, many of you know that my wife has had several family members pass away, and it's been tough to watch her hurt the last month and a half, watch her struggle the last month and a half. And uh, her family's back in Peru, uh, but her husband and kids are here. What keeps her here? What keeps her from getting on a plane and abandoning me and the kids and going back to Peru? There's a commitment there, a commitment there. And no matter what you throw at a committed love, uh, it will not drown it. It will not quench it. Turn over to James chapter number 1 and verse number 2. James 1 and verse number 2. We're almost done this evening. Hang with me here. I think what I'm about to point out will really be an encouragement uh, to all of you here. James chapter 1 and verse number 2. And let's read down through verse number 8. Again, this is more of an application to marriage than an interpretation of the passage. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Now keep marriage in mind here, knowing this, that the trying of your faith The trying of your marriage worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord, A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. I could really take uh, two or three or four weeks and teach uh, out of this passage on marriage, and I'm not going to do that. I'm going to take two or three or four minutes here. But let's just look back at this verse here, uh, this passage for just a moment. Look back at verse 2. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Uh, A committed marriage withstands temptations. It withstands temptations. Um, You know, Satan is lurking, trying to take your marriage down. And when your needs are not being met in marriage, whether they're physical needs or emotional needs or spiritual needs, when your needs are not being met in marriage, Satan is waiting right there to send a pretty little girl along your path that will try to destroy your marriage. Or a handsome, strong man along your path who will try to destroy your marriage. And you cannot give in to temptations. You remember a little bit earlier in the book of Song of Solomon, I believe it's chapter 2, uh, where the farm girl says uh, that it's the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vine. The little foxes spoil the vine. It's giving in to these little temptations that corrode away at that commitment. And if you are committed to your marriage, then you will not give in to temptations. Look back at verse number 5. If any of you lack wisdom, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Have you ever felt like in a romantic relationship, whether it's dating or marriage, have you ever felt like I'm in over my head and I just don't know what to do with this? You ever felt that way? Um, I've been married for 14 years, and there's times where I don't, I don't know necessarily how to handle a particular situation. You know what I'm to do? I'm not to, rely on, I'm not to lean on my own understanding. Some of you in here have been married for 30 years plus. And you think, well, there's nothing I haven't seen yet. 
Well, I guarantee there's things you haven't seen yet, and you may have a problem arise in your marriage. Don't lean on your own understanding. Go to God and ask Him for wisdom exactly how to handle that. We've talked about uh, throughout the series how that uh, men and women bring different things to the table, different uh, viewpoints, and uh, are made differently and view things differently and approach things differently and feel different things. And two men can, and two men can get along well and two women can get along well, but that, uh, that natural tension uh, between the way we view things oftentimes creates problems and friction and, and uh, can create an issue. What do you do in those times? Well, you withstand the temptation to break the commitment of marriage by getting on your knees and asking God to give you wisdom. And again, it takes two. It takes both parties making this effort. But if you both will drop to your knees and pray and ask God for wisdom, He'll give you the wisdom to overcome no matter what it is. Look down at verse number 8. A double-minded man or woman is unstable in all his ways. I watch a lot of marriages struggle because for two or three months, a dad will get his kids up on a Sunday morning and drag them to church and, oh, we're all in on church. And then for two or three months following that, uh, dad oversleeps on Sunday and won't get, go to church. And then back in on church and then out of church. Or uh, we're going to, uh, uh, don't talk like that around here. We don't use that language in this house. And then three or four months later, dad's back to cussing again and, 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 and using language he ought not to. We're sending mixed messages and mixed signals and those things uh, tear down commitment in a marriage, but true committed uh, love, true committed love withstands. It withstands. Uh, notice letter A, letter E rather, uh, is worth it. Commitment is worth it. Verse number 7. Go back to Song of Solomon with, with me if you would and look at verse number 7. And notice the word substance. Lost my place just a moment here. It says, Many waters cannot quench love, neither can the floods drown it. If any man would give all the substance of his house for love, it would uh, utterly be contemned. Real quick here, Mark 8.36, by the way, uh, says, uh, What shall a man gain if he give... Let's see, what shall a man... Help me with the verse here. What shall a man gain if he gain the world and uh, lose his own soul? Something along those lines. Uh, what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and loses his soul? There it is. Um, and then Romans thirteen eight through 10 just drives home the point that love is worth it. But I'll just say this before I, I close out the message, uh, the Bible study this evening. I have never been more miserable in my life than as a married man with my wife. My lowest points emotionally have been caused because of friction between me and Angela. Now, I'm a transparent preacher, maybe even sometimes a little too transparent, but I think anyone in here that's married can probably understand what I'm saying here. But as low as the lows have been, the highs have been really great. And I will say this, it is worth it for me to have the lows because of the highs that I've gotten to experience, enjoying the companionship and the love that my wife and I have shared and we continue to share. And you endure the lows and uh, the, the, the lows uh, quit, uh, quit being as low the more close the both of you get to the Lord and the highs get to be really high and stay really high. Now, there is no material good in the world that I would exchange for the relationship I have with a godly wife. If you're in a marriage, invest yourself into that marriage. I see some men who will live a double life on their wife or some women who will live a double life on their husband. That's called having an affair. And uh, I had a, a man tell me one time, he said, I am not smart enough to cheat on my wife because if I were to cheat on my wife, I would have to remember two birth dates and I'd have to buy twice the gifts and I'd have to have twice the uh, record and I'd have to put up with twice the problems that two women would get me, give me. He said, I just don't have the emotional and mental capacity to pull that off. And I would just say this, if your marriage is struggling and you're miserable, then pour yourself that much more into your marriage and make it work. Letter F, letter F. And I don't have a, a verse or a word here, but notice that commitment is wonderful. 
Commitment is wonderful. You go and talk to someone who's been married for 30 or 40 or 50 years, and what they'll tell you is that at the end of the day, because they committed and they stuck it out, they're glad they did. I'll finish with this illustration, um, and I'll give you point two through um, uh, six next, uh, next time we meet. I'll finish with this illustration. When I served at Granite Baptist Church, there was an older couple in the church named Don, Don and Audie Goddard. They were from West Virginia. And everything you think of when you think of people from West Virginia, Don and Audio were the perfect stereotype, okay? Um, you know where the toothbrush was named? West Virginia, because they have one tooth uh, down there, amen? Um, everything that you think of when you think of West Virginia, Don and Audie were that. Don had a CDL, and uh, Don, uh, I became good friends with Don, and Don would do me a favor on Wednesdays. He would drive the bus so the teenagers could go out soul winning in between the Christian school time and the church service. And uh, we would drop the kids off, and I would sit on the bus with Don, and I would talk to Don while we were waiting. You know, we, we, we'd have to circle around and check on the kids. And so uh, I had quite a bit of alone time with Don, and uh, I believe Don, or rather Audie, passed away recently actually from the coronavirus. And, and, and Don, I don't remember Don's status, but I don't believe he's doing well. Don, at the time, Don and, and Audie had been married for well over 50 years. And I remember Don, this country bumpkin West Virginia boy, looking at me on the bus, and he said, I'm going to tell you the difference between a couple that's married for 50 years and a couple that isn't. The couple who's been married 50 years look at each other and says, no matter what, I won't leave you. No matter what, I'm going to forgive you. And you get a husband and wife who are that committed. It is a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful thing. Now tonight, there are people listening to this Bible study, either here or online. And a Bible study like this is hard to listen to. And I apologize. It's not my intent uh, to make you sad or to make you hurt. Uh, But it is my intent to tell you, to tell all of us, that we're to look at the generation below us and we're to be committed. Let me just say this. If you're here today and you're divorced, and we have a handful of people like that um, listening in or or in attendance, you may say, well, what kind of example am I to the next generation? How am I supposed to breathe contentment when, or uh, a commitment when um, that commitment fell apart? Can I tell you how? Everybody look up here at me. Everybody look up here at me. I'm going to tell you how. Okay. Be committed to God and stay the course. Be committed to God and be the best godly man or woman you can be. You can't go back and undo the past. But you can put your eyes on God and you can love Him with all your heart, soul, and mind. And when little ones come into your path uh, that you have an influence on, you can push them to do right. You can encourage them to do right. And if you will do that, if you will do that, then you can teach purity to the next generation. Uh, But all of us here this evening, let's make that commitment to teach purity to the next generation. Well, we'll get into uh, points 2 through 6 in two weeks, and we'll have one more Bible study, and we'll knock it out. It's going to be great. Let's stand together uh, to be dismissed.